0: Welcome to the Pastor's Study.
1: Our question for this program is, why does God allow Christians to suffer? We could ask the more general question, why does he let anybody suffer? But let's ask a question that's maybe a little harder. Why does he allow his chosen ones, his children, his beloved to suffer? I think this side of heaven, we don't have a complete answer, but we have a partial answer. And what I want to share with you Seven reasons, according to the Bible, that Christians suffer. So if you would, let's bow and, and let's pray. Father, we pray for anyone who is suffering right now that is watching this program. Maybe they're physically suffering, or their marriage is suffering, or they've gone through a divorce, or their children are messed up, Lord. There's all kinds of suffering that Christians, too, go through. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will help us now, from the Bible, make sense of our sufferings. Teach us, we pray, and give us your comfort. In Jesus' name, amen. Seven reasons Christians suffer. Number one, and this is coming from Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? They disciplined us, our fathers, on earth as seemed best to them. But he, God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. First reason Christians suffer, it purifies us. My dad was Catholic, he went to church every Sunday but when I was growing up as a kid there were certain things in the house that should not have been there. When dad was told by the doctor you've got six months to a year to live, all that stuff vanished. Suffering has a way of purifying us. John Piper wrote these words, Satan may be sly but on some things he is stupid because he fails to see that all his attempts to despoil the godly are simply turned by God's providence into occasions for the purifying and strengthening of faith. God's goal for His people in this age is not primarily to rid them of sickness and pain but to purge purge us of all the remnants of sin and cause us in our weakness to cling to Him as our only hope. Suffering purifies us. A tourist is walking through Switzerland And here comes a shepherd with a flock of sheep following him, but there was one lamb right next to the leg of the shepherd. And the tourist said, why does that lamb follow you so closely? And the shepherd said, because I broke its leg. You broke its leg on purpose? This little lamb, he said, used to wander more than any of them. It was, this lamb was in the most danger of going over the cliff. And I have learned as being a shepherd, if I break its leg, It has to stay right next to me while the leg heals. And at the end of the process, that lamb will be close to me the rest of its life. I think the reason sometimes Christian God has to break us is to keep us close to him. Number one, suffering purifies. Second reason we suffer is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, second reason we suffer, it enables us to comfort others. When you're you're going through it and God comforts you, later he'll use you down the road to comfort someone else going through the same thing. I mean, I was thinking on this many years ago. My family really got hit. First, my dad dies of a brain tumor. Then my sister dies of lupus. Then my uh, niece dies at age nine months of a brain tumor. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? (laughs) And then I became a student chaplain in the cancer ward at the hospital having to deal with all these people that are dying. And you know what I discovered? Because I had been through it and could tell them a few stories, they were more open to hearing what I had to say. So another reason God allows suffering is so that He comforts you and then later uses you to comfort people going through the same thing. Third reason God causes God allows suffering for Christians is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle writes, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we, we apostles, were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the death sentence. But this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here's the third reason God allows suffering. Suffering forces us to trust God. I mean, one thing I learned being a chaplain on the cancer ward, some people only look up when they're on their backs. <laughs> some people only turn to God and look up when they're lying on their back. Recently there was a documentary out on the life of actor Steve McQueen. He went through a lot near the end of his life, brought him to Christ. He converted to Christ before he died. But notice this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul's not talking about unbelievers, he's talking about believers having afflictions that force them to trust in God. And I learned from that, even strong believers like the apostles, God allows them to have affliction through life because it deepens their faith and their walk in God. Next reason we suffer, this is from John chapter 1. And as Jesus passed by, excuse me, John chapter 9, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man nor his parents sinned, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then God does a miracle and heals the blind man. Uh, I want you to notice something there, though. The blind man was blind not because he had done anything wrong or that his parents had done. Sometimes we get this notion that if I'm sick, it's because I sinned. That can be true, sometimes, but it's not always true, it wasn't true here. So in this instance, the illness came so Jesus could be glorified and do a miracle. So here's the next reason God permits suffering. Suffering serves as a setting for miracles. God permits you to suffer so he can heal you and get glory off of it. Now, uh, you might say, but what about when he doesn't heal the Christian? How does God get glory out of that? Well, have you heard of Johnny Erickson Tada? When she was a teenager, she jumped off a, a, a diving board and has been paralyzed from her neck down ever since. She's about my age now. Well, where does God get glory in that, that she's still in a wheelchair after all these years? I think we can say, Johnny Erickson Tada glorifies God more in her wheelchair than out of it. I want to quote John Piper again. He says, The glory of God is manifested when he heals, but also when he gives a sweet spirit of hope and peace to the person that he does not heal. That too is a miracle of grace. You know, I think Johnny Erickson, still in her wheelchair now, is a testimony that my faith in God does not depend on whether he gives me my legs back. I'm going to follow Christ even when all the circumstances are awful to show the world Christ is worth it even when he doesn't heal. I think Johnny Erickson is a a living rebuke to these health and wealth preachers on TV who teach that if you got up, if you really uh, have faith, you're going to get out of that wheelchair. Uh, No. Sometimes, yes, but not always. I have a friend who's in a wheelchair. He went to one of these health and wealth prosperity churches here in the Twin Cities, and he said to me, I could tell they weren't comfortable with me at their church. And I said to him, doesn't that stink? <laughs> Next reason Christians can suffer, and this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 where we read, Paul the Apostle is talking about himself, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations God had shown him heaven. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. So here's the next reason we suffer. Suffering prevents greater sins, like pride for Paul here. There's a story of a a man that owned a large apple orchard, and he's taking his friend, giving him the tour of the apple orchard, and over in one area, the, the apples were huge. And his friend says, why are the fruits so big here? And the, the farmer said, look at the roots. And they looked at the roots of the tree, and they'd been hacked up and then healed over so the roots were scarred, and the farmer said, We don't know exactly why this happens, but when the trees begin to grow and put out huge leaves, we hack at the roots, and it forces the tree to put its energies back into itself to heal itself, and those are the trees that have the biggest apples. (laughs) I think sometimes God has to wound us to draw us away from the world, back to himself, so we'll produce the most fruit for God. One reason we suffer is, It prevents bigger sins. Next reason we can suffer is from Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Here's the next reason, reason we suffer. Suffering tests faithfulness. it's, It's easy for us to be Christians when everything is going well. When things start going awful, we're being tested to see if we'll still cling to Christ or not. Maybe you've heard this story. There's a story that during World War II in Europe, some Nazis burst into a church service with machine guns, went to the front of the church, turned the machine guns on the crowd and said, we're going to kill the Christians here. If you're not a Christian, you can leave, but if you stay, you'll be shot. Story goes, people got up and left. There were some people that remained. When everybody that was going to leave left, the Nazis went over, locked the doors of the church, came back to the front, put the machine guns on the table and said, tell us about Christ we want to learn about him from some real Christians. (laughs) Suffering tests your faithfulness to Christ. One last reason we suffer, and this is from Romans chapter 5 verse 3, Paul writes, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. The last reason we suffer is suffering produces character. Johnny Erickson in the wheelchair wrote these words years later, the girl who became emotionally distraught and wavered at each new set of circumstances is now grown up. I am a woman who has learned to rely on God's suffering, on God's sovereignty. There's an example of suffering that has produced a wonderful Christian character. I mean if if you find if you're in the mountains of Colorado and you find a lump of gold, it does not look like gold. It looks like a dirty, dingy yellow rock. But then you put it through the fire, all the impurities burn out and you get gleaming gold. Christians, we are kinda dirty and grungy. God has to put us through the fires so we will become gold for Him. Suffering produces character. Years ago, I used to visit a lady in the nursing home by the name of Ella, an elderly woman. She was a missionary for years in Madagascar, but she was suffering in her old age. And I'd enter into her nursing home room and she'd kind of be crumpled up with her liver pain and she would say things like, I am convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be ours in Christ Jesus. I mean. I didn't minister to her, she ministered to me. And suffering produces character. Now, one more question. It says there we rejoice in our sufferings in Romans 6. Well, how can I do that? Well, I think you do that by clinging to Romans eight twenty-eight. 28. the verse. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. So if you're going through suffering right now, claim Romans 8.28. God, I don't like this, but I'm just going to claim, you said all things. God, I'm going to claim that this thing that I don't like, you promised to use it somehow for my good. Many, many years ago, Horatio Spafford was on the way to the funeral of his three little children. And on the way to the funeral, he wrote this hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's his way of clinging to Romans 8:28. God, I hate what's happened, but I trust this is somehow for my good, the good of my three children. George Matheson was a Scotsman many years ago, he had a promising career, he was engaged to a lovely woman, then the doctor told him, you're going blind and soon you'll be blind. The fiance broke off the engagement, broke his heart, and then he wrote, oh love that will not let me go, I rest. My weary soul in thee, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow, may richer, fuller be. I think that's his way of clinging to Romans eight twenty-eight. God, I'm blind, I've now got lost my fiance, but you promised to use all things for my good, and God got glory through it, and, and, and we know who he was now because of what he wrote. <laughs> All right, um, let's just sum this up now. Why does God allow Christians to suffer? It purifies us. It enables us to comfort others. It forces us to trust God. It can be the setting for miracles. It can prevent greater sins like pride. It can test our faithfulness to Christ and it develops character in us. Now, that's all true, I think. (laughs) But some of this is a mystery. Why does God allow this? And some of this is a mystery. And and I'm gonna close with this. Back in the early 1900s, a mine collapsed in Wales, England. 200 miners died. The bishop was called to do the mass funeral, and he preached. In my mother's Bible at home, in, in my Bible at home, I have a bookmark embroidered by my mother." And he said, if you look at that bookmark from the wrong side, it looks like a mistake, just a tangled mass of threads. But if you turn it over, you will see beautifully embroidered the words God is love. And he said, we're looking at this event from the wrong side. It looks like God has made a horrible mistake with what has happened. But one day, will see it from the other side and understand. Whatever sufferings you're going through this week, may the Lord comfort you and and be your strength as you claim Romans 8.28 over the whole thing. Amen.
2: Welcome to the portion of the Pastor's Study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. Pastor Brock, you quoted Romans 8.28 mm-hmm. as a comfort. Are there any other verses that you can use to comfort people besides that?
1: Yeah, there's lots of them. I, again, I think 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses three through four is good. The most popular chapter in the Old Testament, Psalm 23, is good to read to people. But you know what I think is good to do for yourself? An old Lutheran pastor told me this. Sometimes when you're suffering, it's good just to take out the book of Psalms and read out loud a psalm. Because a lot of those psalms, David or whoever writes, is writing that specific psalm, they're suffering and they're crying out to the Lord. So those are some good comfort verses.
2: Well, does Romans 8.28 mean that God causes evil things for our good?
1: All right, Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. And Jackie, uh, I'm going to say yes to this because Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's brothers abused him, threw him down in a well, sold him into slavery. That's child abuse. And though, but at the end of it, Joseph ends up in Egypt, the second wealthiest man in Egypt, so he could keep his family alive during the famine. And the the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament is Genesis 50, where Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to preserve our family alive as it is this day. So, Jackie, somebody can do something evil to you, but God can take that and turn it into your salvation.
2: That's a different outlook on think, <laughs> yeah. than what most people would think about yeah. even. If people deny Christ and they're under persecution, can they be forgiven since Jesus mm-hmm. said, if you de- deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father?
1: You know, Jackie, I pray for the persecuted church, and, and my prayer is this. God, strengthen persecuted Christians. Help them not deny you. But if they do, Lord, may they repent, and may you take them back. That's the way I pray. And you're, Jackie, when I pray for the persecuted, I pray for myself. Lord, help me never deny you. Um, and, but will God forgive you if you deny Christ? Because Jesus did say, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. Well, can you think of someone in the New Testament who denied Jesus three times, and Jesus forgave
2: him? The thief on the cross. Well,
1: Peter. Peter Peter did. And so if Peter, who became one of the leaders of the church, could be forgiven after denying Christ, so can we. But there needs to be repentance and confession of sin.
2: Okay. Do you believe that non-believers will suffer eternally, or will God just wipe them out?
1: Yeah. Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witness, and liberal Christians believe in what's called annihilationism which means, when if you don't believe in Christ when you die, you just get wiped out, you don't suffer in hell for eternity. <clears throat> the problem with annihilationism is the Bible teaches, quote, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. If you read Luke chapter 15, the rich man that dies and goes to hell, he's not wiped out, he's in hell begging to get out. But Abraham says, nope, once you're in there, you're in there. So. Um, if you uh, want to follow the scriptures, you have to believe there's an eternal hell because it's what Jesus taught.
2: So, and you said that you've shared why God allows Christians to suffer, but do unbelievers then suffer too?
1: Well, well yeah. So, you know, there are reasons Christians suffer. What about unbelievers? Why do they suffer? Well, I think they suffer because God is trying to use those sufferings to bring them to Christ. Jesus said uh, that you know the, the tower that fell on those men in Siloam, where they were sinners than everybody else, Jesus said, no, but you, unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. So Jesus uses suffering there as a way of trying to bring people to repentance and faith in Christ.
2: Okay, I guess I have a question that's kind of not related to what you preached, but can you explain what is a Calvinist?
1: A Calvinist is someone who follows John Calvin. Martin Luther came in about 1520, started the Protestant Reformation. Within a few years after that came John Calvin, and he was more in in, uh, France, Germany was where Luther was, but he did similar work that Luther did. Calvinists and and Lutherans believe mainly the same, there's a few differences, but uh, it's just a branch of of Protestantism. Presbyterians are Calvinists.
2: Okay. The Old Testament forbids eating pork, but Christians today eat pork. So, are we not following, or do we not follow the Old Testament
1: Um, laws? Jesus said in 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 Mark chapter seven, it says Jesus declared all food all foods clean. The Old Testament laws for the eating laws of the Old Testament were given specifically to the Jews. Jesus came along and fulfilled the Old Testament law, so now all foods are clean, you can have a hot dog, I can have a hot dog, we're not sinning, Jackie, because some of those Old Testament laws were for Jews only to make them distinct from the nations. The whole book of Hebrews is about how Jesus fulfilled that now so I can have, you know, pork.
2: (laughs) Pastor Brock, do you believe the Antichrist is on earth now or yet?
1: I think the spirit of Antichrist is, and even the New Testament says, you have heard that many, I think this is from 1 John, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, indeed many Antichrists have come. So there are Antichrists with a small a on earth, the big Antichrist with a cup, capital A, whether he's alive or not, only the Lord knows, but any group or person that denies Christ as our only means of salvation, they're an Antichrist with a small a. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of them
2: Yep. Okay, that's well, yep. interesting. That Even is in the a, church, yeah. An in, it's interesting that there's a difference between whether it's capitalized yeah. or not capitalized. There's one
1: big Antichrist coming at the end.
2: Yep. Okay. Um, one of our listeners says their daughter has become involved with a Christian group that says we should follow the Old Testament and worship on Saturday and not Sunday. They also keep the Jewish festivals and say it's wrong to observe Christmas. How does a person respond to that? Statement.
1: You know, again, there are some there are Jewish Messianic groups that are fine. They, they believe in the Trinity. They believe we're saved by grace alone. There are some Jewish groups that claim to be Christian, and you don't go to heaven. And let, you know They can be very legalistic that you're, you're maybe not saved if you worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. You maybe aren't saved if you don't keep all the Jewish Old Testament festivals. And they're very legalistic, and those groups are, are, are cultic but messianic judaism which these are jewish people who also believe in jesus they're fine so uh, that's that's basically what i would respond
2: so i guess were the bible stories about jesus written down years after he died or how yeah when did they come
1: the um you know some people think that the bible stories were written hundreds of years after they happened they didn't jackie the new testament was completed by about 95 ad that's within i mean th- that's the last book of the new testament revelation the earliest books were written more like 40 ad which is a, within a, a decade of jesus death
2: thanks for being with us and we pray god will be with you granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time thank
0: you for watching the pastor study